What is up, guys? Welcome to the Triage Method podcast. This week, I am joined by our nutritionist, Mr. Brian O'Hangasa. Brian, how are you this week? Hello, Gary. I'm keeping well, thank you. Delighted to hear it. And Paddy's not going to be with us this week. Paddy actually had laser eye surgery this week. So the poor fella has been struggling, crying all week long. His <laughs> eyes are weeping. He's still doing what he can. But we said we would um, take the lead on the podcast this week and give him a bit of a rest. So he loves slack and being given <laughs> slack. So, uh, yeah. yeah, happy to do it. Yeah. So if for those of you who've been following us, you've been following our social media and stuff like that, you'll be aware that um, Brian recently came on board as our head of nutrition. Um, so basically what we wanted to do was to take this uh, opportunity on the podcast to introduce Brian, to basically discuss some of the things that um, I think we think Brian probably thinks are maybe unique about his approach to nutrition coaching, and then hopefully give some take-home points related to nutrition coaching that are going to be useful for people who've been listening along to, to the recent podcast we've been doing on obesity, for example, or people who are just interested in improving their nutrition in the current modern food environment, which is quite challenging for people, you know? So with all that said, Brian, can you tell me a bit about yourself, your little elevator pitch, take as much time as you want, but, but how did you get here? What's the history, your education, all that fun yeah, stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the full, the full story then, you know, Ooh, me boy. as well. So this is my, my origin story episode for, yes, any, Go for uh, any superhero movie enthusiasts, you know, I know you are probably not Gary, but no, <laughs> um, you just do it in real life. Uh, yeah. So I got into the nutrition space because I have a very typical story with this. It's, I was a skinny teenager and I was playing sports and I wanted to be bigger and stronger for playing basketball. Um, so as soon as I, was of age and I turned 16, I joined the gym, started lifting, had a pretty reasonable start. I had some good guidance uh, from the get-go. So while I still made a lot of mistakes, like everybody does, uh, I'd say I made less mistakes and uh, there was less pissing around than, than some people might have. So I just became very, very interested in how, you know, lifestyle factors like nutrition, especially can, could impact your results and your gains, so to speak. Um, it wasn't even in, in a sporting contest, but it was just like, uh, context. It was more like just, yeah, like you're going to get bigger, stronger, you're going to add muscle tissue. That was, that was how I first got really interested in nutrition. Like I've always had a nice environment been brought up, like around good nutrition, good nutrition habits. So I have to credit my mom for that. Um, so, you know, that was where my interest was. And by the time the, uh, the CAO came around, you know, once I was finishing school, to see where I was going to go to do in college, you know, nutrition was the, the kind of easy option. It was like, well, that makes the most sense. Um, you know, there, there wasn't much of a debate about that. I did have physio down as well, but, uh, you know, I wasn't going to get that because I put nutrition first. Um, so I got that and then did the four years in UCD in Dublin then, you know, during that time, I, I had a good idea that I did want to work with people in a one-to-one context, uh, not in like a clinical setting. So I didn't, I didn't want to go on and do dietetics like a lot of my classmates would have done. I was pretty sure that yeah, I didn't want to work in a hospital setting. I didn't want to go into public health nutrition. I didn't want to, well, I, I thought about going into further research and maybe get a PhD, but definitely knew I wanted to help people in a one-to-one setting. And as such, after I finished college, I did the, you know, the precision nutrition courses, the, the level one and two in that, which specialize in it, coaching overall with the, a lot of the emphasis on nutrition. So, you know, a lot of the skills could be applied to any sort of coaching environment, but the, they're tailored for nutrition because that's, that's the, the type of service that the PN offers. And um, the level two in that was particularly formative uh, in terms of, you know, who I am as a coach and, and how I operate. So, you know, I can't say enough about that in particular. And then I, you know, I started coaching clients, uh, when was it 2017? Um, so I've been in, in the space about that long and, you know, it's obviously what I do now full time. It's what I do for you guys. And yeah, I love it. I love the, the online coaching gig and, uh, and working with people in, in that one-to-one basis. Savage. And 
for someone like yourself who actually did your degree in nutrition, did you feel like you were prepared to coach people once you had the degree or was the other education? Mm, particular? Not, no, not at all. Like I, I definitely have more nutrition science than I may ever need to use mm. in, in coaching practice. And I think, you know, we all, I think that's always going to be the case for anyone, any of us who deep dive into nutrition. When you go then to start to apply it to people, like you're not going to use everything you need to know it, but you know, your clients don't need to know about all the pathways and cycles and things like they, they just don't. Um, so obviously that, that hints at communication being very important in coaching. Um, but no, it left a lot to be desired. The, the degree program, like it was very good. If you wanted to go do further study, it was very good. If you wanted to go into academics, it was very good. If you wanted to go into public health, but very much lacking, I felt in the, okay, how do we actually apply this to people? Like how do we bridge that gap from the, the knowledge to the implementation, um, which is what coaching is essentially. And, you know, it's guiding people to make those changes. And that's what drew me to, to do PN. Um, you know, that they have a lot of emphasis on you know how you actually coach the behavior change, you know, with these nutritional aspects and lifestyle aspects. So yeah, no, that's that's exactly why I went in to do that because um while the while those courses had plenty of nutrition science and if you'd never done any nutrition science before you would get a lot from them it's all it was all stuff that i'd seen before uh, and you know less than what i'd seen before but the actual coaching skills and the behavioral psychology and that side of things were, were absolutely fantastic um so you know when you combine the, the knowledge and the implementation then you have you know the basis for a decent coach i think sure like you can't just pick up a textbook on metabolism and then expect to be able to coach people on nutrition um, it's a lot more complicated than that but in terms of your own coaching practice i wanted to like take a step back and ask about your own diet because this is something that that patty and i actually discussed um a number of months ago we had a podcast talking about our our diet history and how it kind of shaped us yeah. And we, we focused on, you know, um, when we were kids, even for an example, for example, and you said that you kind of had a good food environment growing up. Could you give me like a, a summary of like what that was like for you growing up, if there was any particular influences and then what the transition was like from a nutrition perspective as you got into the gym? Like, for example, many of us try out things like keto, paleo, vegan, etc. And that, that just that rough timeline. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a good question. Um, that'll be fun to go through. So, um, you know, growing up, I had like when I say I had a very good, positive food environment. You know, my mom cooked all the dinners from scratch, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> so take, we were never having takeaways uh, at home. Really, like it was very, very rare occasion, and that would usually be having them with friends as opposed to having them as a family. Um, so I had like. A, a quite a wide variety of say dinners you know wasn't um wasn't very narrow my mom's a very good cook um and she'd be well capable of making a variety of different meals and then i would have been having you know your typical lunches which i would say that most people go along with you know the sandwiches um and things like that but uh and same thing for breakfast like you know breakfast was cereals um and, you know, there was never, I was never like told that you can't have such and such a food. Like, you know, I was always having chocolate and stuff as well. Um, but just being around that sort of environment where, you know, everything was cooked fresh, you know, it, I think definitely had a positive influence. The, the variety, I suppose, in my diet and like trying different foods, there was, it was always kind of, yeah, let's try this, this different cuisine. Um, so I was always very open to that. So I don't know if that's innate or if that's nurtured, it's probably a combination, but, um, yeah, things, things would have changed a lot then when I got into training, as I'm sure you can relate to, uh, because you start reading whatever you read, <laughs> start reading teen nation. Um, I was particularly for me, it was, um, Charles Yeah. because, <laughs> uh, the, the first trainer that I ever worked with, um, in the gym, like you would get. As part of your membership for the gym, you'd get a monthly assessment and a program. And the fellow I worked with was um, like Poliquin certified as a trainer. So, you know, the training content, I think, was pretty good. And then I would consume all the nutrition content I could find 
which a lot of it is left to be desired, as I know now. Yeah. Um, like, so there's a lot of mad shit <laughs> that we, we'll get onto uh, now in a second. But I think we can all we all went through that at some point. Yeah. Um, so I would have been very much having like eight feedings a day kind of thing yeah. uh, as a as a late teenager, you know. So. Um, because that was, you know, better for your metabolism, supposedly, which, which was obviously it's not. Um, but obviously we, we just, we're just ignorant at the time. So, and I was doing like, I was eating chicken and broccoli and brown rice, yeah. uh, for lunch in school, like when I was, you know, 17, 18. Um, and like I said, yeah, having like seven to eight meals a day, but like a meal would be like an apple or, you know, a protein shake yeah. or something like that. Um, definitely hammering the post-workout uh grape juice and uh maltodextrin and protein powder <laughs> um it, it gets better just as a disclaimer to anyone listening to this yeah this is better <laughs> but don't write me off as a coach and be <laughs> being absolutely ignorant we yeah. all went through this phase all of us yeah and uh so I went through that uh, that process and it was very much about clean eating and, you know, obviously trying to eat a lot because I was, it was always focused on muscle gain and gaining yeah. weight because I was naturally skinny. Um, so eating tremendous amounts of protein. I remember I came across like some old diaries there from when I was like, I think 1920 and, and some of the stuff in it is just, it's like I was pissing myself laughing, reading it. Um, I did share it on social media at the time, but <clears throat> just what I was doing and like slamming the 40 grams of BCAs intra workout, nice. um, that sort of stuff. And then I got to college. Um, so early on in college, cause obviously I was doing nutrition. So I was learning about nutrition going through that, but early on in college, I met some, uh, met some friends, well now friends who got me into the paleo diet. Um, and I stuck with that for, you know, a couple of years. Um, I bought it, I bought into it. Um, you know, so no gluten or, you know, no grains, no dairy, no pulses. Um, so it was just meat and vegetables and, and spuds and stuff like that. Which uh, isn't terrible to be fair, you know. <laughs> no, like I, 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 I maintain, I do still have a little bit of a soft spot for it as a, yeah. as a dietary template. I think you could do a lot worse. For sure. Um, but just, it's like the reasoning. It's like, yeah, it's not that those foods are bad and no one should ever eat them. Like, you know bread bread is cool like we all we all yeah. like some bread and and you can have it <clears throat> but like you know I, I was fine having that diet not a bother <clears throat> um then you know I, at the same time i developed some awareness of flexible dieting and, and kind of the importance of macronutrients and calories and, and all that good stuff um which has stuck with me thankfully and a lot of the other stuff has, has faded away um so yeah, so I was kind of do I was kind of doing paleo, but calorie appropriate paleo, let's say yeah. for for a while, um, and then it just you know got to know better, right? Because basically, you can't really say anything more than that. Just you learn and you realize, oh okay, that's it's actually not the case that like dairy is bad for you or you know gluten is bad for you or anything like that. Um, so that was the evolution, and like you know during those those periods as well i was still following some of the polyquinism so there was a point i was taking 20 grams of fish oil a day um when i was in college and uh like that that's mental to think of now i remember remember i got an order from my protein before um they they i was an order for yeah i think i ended up with like 2500 fish oils um in one delivery they used to sell them by like in large amounts they don't do that anymore um and they made a mistake and they doubled up on the order so i got twice what i ordered so i ended up with like two and a half thousand fish oils in this in this big sack um and it was like if you ever came to my house you get like a goodie bag of like a few shovels of fish oils because like i need to get <laughs> i need to get rid of these <laughs> um yeah so <laughs> since then I have uh, learned a lot more about what's actually important in the context of diets and stuff. And you don't need to exclude entire food groups and what an actual healthy dietary template looks like, um, which is, you know, what I, what I do now, just in case people are wondering, it's like, 
yeah, I think you preferred to prefer before as like a high everything diet. So like high protein, high carb, high fiber, high vegetable, fruit, um, high fat intake, uh, all from, you know, decent sources with out any exclusions, you know, so that flexible approach, but, uh, with the emphasis on quality whole foods, if you want to call them that. Yeah. So you're kind of agnostic when it comes to diet now, like you're, you don't call it anything particular. It's just, yeah, you know, what you like, what's considered to be healthful, etc. So Brian isn't coming on board as like our low carb or vegan coach. So sorry if, if anyone is disappointed. Yeah. If I'm going to be like a, a, the guy, I'm going to be the vegetable guy, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's one that I tend not to yield on. Uh, I think most of my successful clients do eat more than average amounts of vegetables unless they're unless they're keto maybe but even then you're supposed to be still eating some vegetables in that case yeah it's hard to make the case that eating a heap of veg is a bad thing you know <laughs> yeah um, so as you, as you kind of like reflect on on that journey um what what do you feel was the 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 biggest barrier for you along the way like did you have any significant barriers with nutrition that you had to overcome like did you ever have a period of binge restrict like some people go through or anything like that no um thankfully i didn't but i suppose the i suppose the barrier is going to be ignorance and like ignorance of how um you know energy balance works and how food quality works so like uh you know i would definitely have an easier time gaining weight now with with what i know than i did when i was 1920 just because i was trying to bulk on all you know quote unquote clean foods um so i would end up like tremendously full uh, and eating eating too much protein as well probably like unnecessary amounts of protein um and amino acids like i like i already said so I mean, if you call that a barrier, you know, it's, it's probably just ignorance of, mm-hmm. of what's actually important. You know, what, what, are the, what are the actual boxes you need to tick to get results instead of, oh, yeah, it's, it's clean eating and, and that's that. Eat, no, eat loads of protein and, and eat clean foods and that's how you get to where you want to be, um, which I suppose, like, we're probably going to talk about that later, but that's one of the pretty key things that I have to impart to my clients um, depending on what their own background and history is like, because they may be stuck in that sort of ideology um, where it's like clean eating is important um, if, I, if I want to get results or eating no carbs is important if I want to get results. Um, so, yeah, it's just just having not having the knowledge of what was actually important and what you need to consider when you're trying to set up a successful, healthy dietary approach. Um, if you want to call that a barrier, but I, I had no issues really, thankfully, except I neglected, you know, uh, neglected myself of bread and stuff for a couple of years. So yeah, if you want to call it, do you want to call that self-harm? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I I think what's, what's um, encouraging for people from that story, because it's very similar to like myself and Paddy and, and almost everyone I know who's come out the other end as someone who has a reasonable approach to nutrition like everyone's gone through that phase of trying different things some things more ridiculous than others um particularly when you're young and you know you're impressionable and you assume that there's going to be a perfect way i think um i remember danny lennon even saying on the podcast that he once did the all potato diet i didn't even know that was a thing like just potatoes every meal and obviously lost loads of weight because potatoes are ridiculously filling, you know, you'd be so full. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, everyone that I know who's come out with like a reasonable, um, moderate stance on nutrition, um, who's, you know, evidence-based and all those sorts of things, everyone's been through that, that phase of, of doing silly things. So if you are someone in that position who's maybe just getting into nutrition and you're overwhelmed and you're confused and you don't know what to do, I think what it's useful to know that everyone's been through that phase. You know, we've all done uh, silly things. Like I've had my phase of, of being keto for a while. And to be honest, I kind of did it out of curiosity, but also believed in the things like you said, you know, when paleo was the big thing, you know, I thought the bread was bad and that I should be avoiding dairy. Um, and obviously when, when I first got into the gym, 
like 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 you say very frequent feedings all clean foods assuming you know that that there were specific foods that were going to lead to to fat gain and others that wouldn't etc so we've all been there and i think that's good for people to know you know yeah i mean the the amount of information available now is obviously much better and you know that's something that we do you know so we're trying to save people from you know having to go through as much of that but i think i think people are in a better position at a younger age these days than say when we were, you know, in our late teens, early twenties. hundred percent. Like, I think the, the average stance, if you were to go on social media and follow like a good few personal trainers that have a decent following in Ireland, for example, the average stance on nutrition that you're going to get is probably a fairly reasonable one. Like calories matter, you know, you Mm. should eat more protein. There's no real bad foods. You can be flexible with your approach and sure they mightn't be, you mightn't get the most perfect summary of all the evidence from these people, but you're getting a decent starting point. Whereas 10 years ago, like, I don't think you you would have got that as the average standard um, among personal trainers with nutrition. Um, so you, you would have been more so along the lines of the, the bodybuilding diets, really. Yeah. Um, clean eating, paleo, depending on the person's persuasion. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think people are, are in a good position. And if you're listening to the Triage Method podcast, <laughs> I mean, you're you're on the ball. So stay tuned. And with that said, over the last few podcasts, we've been discussing obesity. And one of the things that I think comes up time and time again as an issue when we look at obesity prevalence um, increasing across many, many populations, listen to the previous podcast if you haven't, um, is the food environment. That's the really, really large barrier um, for so many people because it's the very simple uh, way of breaking it down is that it's just very easy to overconsume calories. Like it's, it's yeah. way easier to do that than to not do that. That's the most simple breakdown because you've basically got big, large food corporations that are doing their best to design foods that are going to lead you to overconsume and to come back and keep consuming those. And then as a result, you end up with your neurobiology, your reward system saying, yeah, we actually want more of that. And then we want less of the, uh, cleaner meals, let's say, you know, because they don't taste as good. They're not as palatable. And when you factor in economic concerns, as we discussed in the previous podcasts, mm. you end up in a position where, oh, it's also quite cheap to eat like that as well, you know, and it's accessible anywhere I go and it's quick, it's convenient. So all of those things lead to an obesogenic environment. Yeah. So with that said, what are some of the things that you think people can actually take ownership of in their own lives to try to reduce their tendency to succumb to that um, food environment. Yeah, so like the, yeah, the environment is so important. And before I go into that, yeah. I have another thought that I think people people operate on a very black and white mindset. So to give you an example, you know, if you have someone who is on the road a lot, um, you know, say say I have clients who are ambulance workers. Mm-hmm. you know they're on the road a lot they're working shifts you know they their main only option may be a 24-hour garage you know mm-hmm. to go get something to eat and i think a lot of people walk into say a garage like that with the preconceived notion that this is suboptimal i can't make this work as well as if i prepared something myself at home brought it with me or if i you know if i wasn't working shift um and that is not true. So if you can, if you can, you know, free yourself from that sort of all or nothing thinking by telling yourself, ah, crap, I have to go get a meal from the garage. Um, and it's just, it's, you're just writing it off, you know, without even thinking about it. Um, then you're going to go in and you're just going to choose whatever seems best to you at the time because it's suboptimal. So it doesn't matter if I get, you know, uh, sausage rolls, um, or and like soda and some chocolate and crisps or whatever it is but the reality is and this is what i'll coach people on in, in these kind of cases that like you know let's have maybe some decisions that you go in with ahead of time so it's like okay if the garage has you know some um maybe some yogurt or you know milk or something like that then okay well that's a reasonable protein source um, you could get that um maybe they have you know breaded chicken and maybe that's Maybe that's not like the best thing in the world, but 
is it better than say sausage rolls or getting sausages? You know, they're going to be much higher in fat, much lower in protein and much less suitable to what most people's health and nutrition fitness goals are going to be. And, you know, a lot of these places will sell fruit. And there's a lot of options. Um, Even if you find yourself in what you might classify as a suboptimal environment. Right. And like you said, look, it's, if you're, if you are not overweight, in the environment that we live in these days, like you're, you're fighting against your own genetics and you're fighting against everything else um, that's going on, like the food corporations and things. Um, so yeah, you are the outlier, so to speak, um, which is, you know, which is why this is so difficult. Um, but if you can go in without that attitude of saying like, this particular environment sucks, it's not my home environment. Um, and actually open your mind up a little bit and say, okay, what actually could I do here? Um, and what and have a plan in mind before you go into these places and the same goes for like you know in, the, in that same example maybe you have to get a takeaway or something um but there are better and worse options along that spectrum as well you know that are going to be suitable for your goals so like a thai food takeaway that's not uh, battered and um you know has a side of veg and you know some rice or something maybe better than getting pizza for example um but it's not just to be thrown out the window as all being suboptimal and a poor choice. Um, so that's the kind of food environment in those different contexts. And then like at home, like at home is the one you ideally should have the most control over. Uh, it's gonna be hugely important. That's one of the, like the, the big tenets of having a successful dietary approach or any sort of approach. Uh, it doesn't have to be for diet, but your environment has to be supportive of what you're actually trying to achieve. Um, you know, so you need structure and then you look at the environment and shaping that for whatever your goals are. So in, in like a nutrition context, it's very simple stuff. It's like, you know, when you open a press or you open the fridge, like how much, you know, chocolate and, and sweets and stuff are actually looking at you in your line of vision when you do that. The more that there are there, the more likely you're going to go and just grab something like that. And I've experienced that myself. Um when I was in New Zealand there at the end of 2019, uh, you know, I was staying with some friends and one of the vegetable drawers in the fridge was uh, dedicated to chocolate. So even me who is good at nutrition and like health habits, every time I opened that fridge up and as well, it's, it was their big 250 gram bars. So they weren't even individually portioned. So in that case, you're just breaking off rows at a time. And it's too easy to do whenever you feel kind of snacky like that you know maybe you're going to the fridge to get ingredients to prepare a meal so you're already a little bit hungry but then you open up the fridge and you're like oh yeah i'll just have some of that chocolate actually that'll that'll uh, take the edge off a little bit but you could consume quite a lot so you know with that in mind and what i actually advised them to do was like okay guys break off the portions that you're going to have on a daily basis leave them in the fridge leave the rest of the bar elsewhere so you can't just keep picking at it um you know because they were interested in this stuff as well uh so it's it's that sort of thing and there's a saying that um i think it, i think james clear says this so you know the author of atomic habits um you know he says that the people who apparently have the best willpower and we won't go into like discussion about willpower whether it exists or not but the people who apparently have the best willpower have to use it less right because they have their environment set up in such a way that they don't need to so it's a case of making the things that you want to do as easy as possible to engage in. So having the food in the fridge, having the food in the press after you go to the shop so that you can make the meals better yet would be to do some meal prep. So when you have to make a choice between, you know, ordering in or choosing meal that you've prepared yourself, if the meal that you've prepared yourself is already there, then that is the easy choice. You can go for that. You stay on the path. Um, If it's not there, then you're left with a harder decision, let's say, to make um, because it's kind of 50-50, right? So you don't want a 50-50 versus the better and worse choices that you're going to make. You want to make it as easy as possible to make the better choices um, and as difficult as possible to make the poorer choices. So keeping snack foods, treats and things out of sight does keep them out of mind. Um, so, you know, put them in, a, in an opaque container, put that in the back of a top press somewhere where you don't look generally. And if you can make some, put it somewhere where you don't generally look for food. Um, and then if, therefore you won't come across it. You won't be thinking about it as much. Um, 
you know, one of the kind of classic examples of this, like having a fruit bowl on the counter. If you have a fruit bowl on the counter, you will eat more fruit, right? It's very simple because it's in your line of vision. It's like, oh yeah, actually I see there's apples there. I'll have one of those. Um, and if you compare that to say having a treat bowl on the counter, then that's what you're going to end up having. And like, I, I say this all the time, you know, if you go to a party, uh, not that you're doing that these days, but if you go to a party and you, you find yourself sat in front of the snack table, um, you know, you, Gary, or I, or Patty, or anyone will naturally eat more snacks and stuff if we're parked there in front of it for two hours because it's directly in our environment. It's triggering, you know, habits and behaviors. Whereas if you found yourself standing over in the corner of the room away from the snack table, then you will probably eat a lot less of those snacks purely because it's an environmental thing. So looking at your environment, seeing how you can control it to support the behaviors you want to engage in and to not support the, the behaviors you don't want to engage in. And that applies to any habits, uh, be it around food or not. 100%. Like you're, you're effectively trying to just, as you say, like reduce the friction between you and making a healthful choice and increase that friction between you um, and making the less healthful choice. And there's many examples of, of things on both sides of the aisle there. Um, like some, some of the things that I do personally, and you might share some of your own after, um, is for example, in, in Aldi, they sell uh, like these pre-packaged um you know lentils and different beans and grains and different types of uh like just prepared things similar to the packets of uncle ben's rice that you get they're yeah. super high in fire fiber they give you a decent bolus of protein they're tasty and a minute or two in the microwave and they're done like i know that there's significant friction between me like preparing um a meal such as like uh a, like a lentil dish like when am i gonna have the time to you know create a, a lentil dish and am i likely to do that probably not you know whereas if i have uh the lentils pre-prepared in a little package that i just pop in the microwave you're basically doing what is generally pushing you towards less healthful choices in terms of convenience, um, easy access, uh, and you're basically applying it to something more healthful. So that's something that I do uh, that makes that choice much easier and allows me to increase my fiber without allowing or without necessitating uh, more time uh, with meal prepping. Other things that would be that I would do sometimes would be, for example, you know, those packets of potatoes that you put in the microwave and you just pop them in the microwave you don't have to think of them because again boiling your potatoes can sometimes you know take quite a bit of time or if i am preparing potatoes i might just pop them in the microwave with some water and just prepare them like that so i'm always looking for things like that little hacks to make my diet um easier to adhere to uh because often i'm stuck for time and i'm busy and i know that if i can reduce that friction yeah. that i can make more more healthful choices um but there's plenty of examples do you have any of, of your own that you use frequently yeah like that yeah that's a really good example uh, with the lentils because you know you don't want to sit there and soak them and then yeah. and then cook them up and <clears throat> i do well i do want to say to people that there's no there's no extra points and it's not a badge of honor to be pre preparing everything from scratch. Yeah. Like, you know, no one cares if you've made your own, your own pasta by hand, like, you know, it, there's like a nostalgic bias or like a, the kind of natural fallacy kind of plays into this, but yeah. you know, it, it, if there are those convenient options, cause you know, convenience is great. Like it makes your life a lot easier. As you said, it reduces the friction between you and engaging in those behaviors. Um, and there are nice examples like that of like the lentils and they do, they do chickpeas as well. Um, and the same sort of idea. So I would be looking to maximize convenience where possible. Uh, and there's no, there's nothing bad about wanting your food to be convenient and not spend, you know, six hours cooking every day. Like nobody's got time for that. Um, so like things that I do in that context, uh, slow cooking is definitely one um, you'll know I'm a, I'm a massive proponent of using a slow cooker. Yeah. I think it's the best piece of meal prep equipment that you can get because, you know, at its, at its like most convenient, you can just throw your meat and vegetables into it and turn it on or like with some water and or some sort of liquid, turn it on and then leave it. Right. And then, you know, six, eight hours later, the food is ready. Right. And that like you have, it's taking you all of five minutes to do that. Now, 
a lot of recipes for slow cooking will ask you to say brown off the meat first then put it into the slow cooker you can do that it doesn't take much longer but again if we're talking about re reducing friction uh it's very very easy to just throw everything in get it started with some seasoning and and you're good to go um if you get a big slow cooker then you know you can prepare you know potentially a few days worth of meals within that um and yeah just just looking at like convenient options like like preparing vegetables is a big one for people but like you know okay so frozen veg is usually cooked pretty quickly mm. but even like you know i was having this conversation with someone earlier who was <laughs> being lazy with his uh, vegetable preparation so you know i called him out on it and um i said like realistically man you can steam broccoli in the microwave and it'll take you about two minutes right and it's not like you have to do anything for those two minutes like you can leverage that time to your heart's content with whatever else you want to do you know literally you have to chop it up put it in a bowl put a bit of water in cover it and then microwave for two minutes and you have steamed broccoli right so that is not a large ask um so that that's one that i, that I would utilize uh, an awful lot um things like you know turkey burgers are pretty handy i i, I definitely went through a phase of being sick of turkey burgers from overdoing <laughs> it and just being bombarded. Like the food environment just felt like it was just turkey burgers for a little while there. Um, but I mean, they are easy, they're handy. Like, you know, if you have a George Foreman, I don't, but if you have a grill, you can grill them pretty quick in the oven under the grill. Yeah. You'll do them very, very quickly. Um, and that's right. Really easy, good protein source to have. It doesn't take any preparation except getting it from the packet onto the grill and then turning it maybe once um like i do the same thing as you with the uh the lentils uh those pouches are definitely handy same thing with the rice um you get rice noodles that just just go into a pan for a couple of minutes and they're ready um pre-cooked prawns are a very good source of protein because they're already they're already ready to eat you just have to heat them up essentially um you can get pre-chopped vegetables you know uh to help you out there and you know one of the rules for like successful i call it meal prep but every time you're in the kitchen cooking something ideally you want to do a little bit more than just for that meal so you know if you're chopping veg to have with a meal right now chop a little bit more um for a, a future meal right and you'll save yourself a bit of time in that context because you're already set up you're already doing the chopping anyway mm -hmm. um yeah there's a saying that it takes just as long to roast two chickens as it does to roast one chicken right because if the oven's on and you know you've got one chicken in there you may as well put put something else in and make use of it while you're in the kitchen uh tinned fish is, are fantastic like i think if you're gonna go for what's convenient nutritious and cheap like you can't really do better than than tinned fish um so I, I feel sorry for people who don't like just can't eat it. I know you don't really eat tin fit or yeah, I'm not a fish. big fish guy, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, I, I sympathize with you, Gary, because <laughs> uh, you're missing out there, brother. Um, well, yeah, th those are you know, some examples of, of how you can just make things easy for yourself. And anybody in their own situation will be able to think, oh, yeah, I, you know, maybe I could do this. Um, yogurts, like, like high protein dairy products are like an absolute godsend, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever had a successful diet. Oh, no, not that. My, my most successful diet phases have been, you know, using a lot of high protein yogurt and stuff. Always. Um, because they take no preparation. Uh, fruit generally takes no preparation. So, you know, if you're not as big a veg eater, if you can at least eat a lot of fruit, like you're probably doing pretty well. Um, so, yeah, those are those are some ideas, I think. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I always come back to with people time and time again is the the fruit and veg, really, because I think people often have a barrier to eating frozen veg and frozen fruit because they think, oh, it's less nutrition or less nutritious. Whereas firstly, it's if anything, it's equally or sometimes more nutritious, depending on the nutrients you're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest with it, with all cooking methods, there's always a trade-off in some nutrients, you know, depending on whether you're boiling or steaming or roasting yeah. or frying, et cetera. There's always different trade-offs. So I, I don't like people to get overly caught up in that stuff because it's it's just too messy. You know, it's just not worth no. uh, the hassle. And ultimately, the main thing that people need to actually be focusing on is trying to eat more fruit and veg. 
And yeah. the easiest way to do that is to get some frozen veg because it's cheaper, it keeps better, um, and it's easy to prepare as well, you know. And so I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of that personally. Um, and and it's it's pretty easy to rack up quite a few servings. You know, I'm not sure what you consider a standard serving to be, but I kind of say 80 grams or 80 to 100 grams is, yeah. is kind of average serving size. But I mean, for, if you have like frozen blueberries, for example, and you have a high protein yogurt, if you pop 200 grams of those blueberries into the microwave for 60 seconds or whatever, so they defrost a little bit, then you add in your yogurt, you got a super high protein meal that's super nutritious, loads of them beautiful polyphenols, lovely blueberry taste, um, mm. and it's really low in calories and really filling. So, you know, make your life easier rather than harder. I think that sometimes we get a bit of that kind of residual bodybuilding mindset where you know you have to suffer through your diet so you know you have to make it as challenging as possible whereas very often there's these simple things that can make such a difference to the overall healthfulness of your diet you know yeah and and that's that kind of comes back to what we spoke about in the beginning is like what is actually required of you to have a successful diet or, or a healthy diet and it's not that you eat bland foods and it's not that you spend ages preparing your foods and that can be a quite a big barrier to people because some people do believe that even still that like you know i have to prepare everything from scratch and i have to i can't use like sauces and seasonings and stuff because for whatever reason they believe you know about the food and when it's just not the case so yeah absolutely make life easier for yourself in in that context um I know we like, you know, physical challenges and things like that to build resilience, but you don't have to do it with your nutrition. Um, it's, it's hard uh, enough already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that yogurt and blueberries or any frozen berries, like that's like, I eat so much of that. Like it's, yeah. it's so easy. It's tasty. So nutritious. So filling like, <clears throat> yeah, the frozen fruit is my favorite one to talk about, like in terms of food volume, because you know, the, the, f- the four berry mix out of Aldi yeah. is about, I think it's 33 calories uh, per hundred grams. Um, you know, so if you want to have 500 grams, that's like 150 odd calories. Um, whereas you look at how much chocolate will give you um, about 150 calories. It's like, uh, you know, 20 grams or so. So you're talking like 20 grams versus 500 grams of food, um, which is going to be smarter for, for dieting if that's what you're doing or just staying full um you know it's it's pretty obvious answer and you know food volume is important like whatever about flexible dieting but like i suppose not trying to be too flexible is also making life easier for yourself um i think i think you probably agree but we can see it sometimes where people try and do too much like fitting in like these macro friendly treats and stuff Whereas you would be better off just having like that heap and bowl of yogurt and, and berries makes life easier. You're going to get more nutrients from it and uh, you're going to be more full. So, Yeah, I think that's, that is really important because there, there is, you know, a bit of a pendulum swing there that people go through. And I went through this myself as well, you know, where I initially would have been the kind of standard bodybuilding uh, diet. So focused on, you know, your clean foods. So it was, you know, chicken, brown rice, potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes, broccoli, etc. Um, it was fairly restricted, you know, and then as I started to learn more about flexible dieting, and to be fair, that was actually when I was quite young. So I was lucky enough in that sense, maybe a year or two, uh, into training or whatever a year into training maybe um and i started to learn about flexible dieting and the if it fits your macros ifym and for people who are unaware of that um basically what started to happen was that people would transition away from this kind of clean eating approach and then people would start to track their calories and macros which is you know generally it's sound practice for sure but then there was there's there was a trend for a while of like flex bowls and things like that and youtube uh, ifym days of eating became really popular and basically it was almost like a social trend where people tried to fit as much junk as they could um into their uh, required calories or macros for the day so it was almost like a, a badge of honor, you know, that you were able to fit in this junk. And I did some of that for a while. But what I found was that, you know, you kind of 
have to keep some remnants of that clean eating approach um, as you go along. And obviously that's something we always talk about in the podcast that food quality still matters, but even just looking at the nutrition specific stuff aside, like forget about nutrients or anything like that. One of the things that I found and that many other people find too, is that as you begin to expose yourself to all these really tasty foods all the time, in a position such as when you're in a calorie deficit, you're dieting, you're already in a position where you're more sensitive to those cues and you're, you're going to have a tendency to overeat. Your palate becomes retrained. And we know that happens already with taste buds and stuff like that, but mm. your palate becomes retrained and, and obviously the nervous system element of that too, but you no longer really desire those cleaner foods, you know, a meal of chicken, broccoli and rice or um, a standard uh, dinner doesn't taste as good when you've just fit, you know, 600 calories of low calorie ice cream in, or you've just had all of your carbs from cereal or whatever. Mm. So you're left in a position where you've got a diet that's giving you low satiety. So it's not keeping you full. Um, It's leaving you craving more of those foods along with that. And you're not full. And then you're also in a position where you're in a calorie deficit and you're not full anyway, and you're craving more food in general, and you don't want the foods that are going to keep you full. So it's kind of a recipe for disaster, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's not, it's not a good place to put yourself in. And uh, it does, it just comes back to making life easier. So as you said, there's a pendulum swing. Cause you know, I can kind of understand that when, when people are liberated from the, the need to eat clean, yeah it's kind of like a panacea, but the pendulum needs to swim back to more of that middle ground um, where it's going to be naturally where, yeah, like, you know, that 80, 20 or the 90, 10 is probably a good area to be in. Um, you know, especially, especially if you're dieting in a calorie deficit or anything like that. Like um, you, if you're taking in less calories, you're not getting as much nutrients anyway. Um, so you kind of have to maximize each calorie uh, per nutrient and by doing that all the things you just described will happen you'll be fuller um you know you won't be yeah like hypersensitive to super sweet mm-hmm. foods or super palatable foods um and you'll enjoy the the i don't want to say mundane because like i really enjoy the food that i eat yeah. and i wouldn't have any other way but um yeah like you know, if you're going to keep bombarding yourself with that hyperpalatable stuff, that's what you're going to want. Um, you know, as opposed to like the inherent sweetness of strawberries or something like that. Yes, sir. And to finish us off, what I wanted to ask was if we, if we think about a client, let's say that's coming to work with you and there's someone who's, you know, tried many diets in the past and they've never really had great kind of fat loss success for whatever reason, what do you find to be the biggest barriers that those, those types of people struggle with or that you find yourself addressing early on? It could be one barrier. It could be multiple. Just mm. interested to hear what you think. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. A few things come to mind. So it, it, it's all going to come back to the question, like, why, why haven't those approaches worked for you in the past? You know, what's been wrong with them, so to speak? Um, and where are the gaps in terms of, like, what you and I would describe as a uh, well put together diet template like what's what's lacking in that context and often often people will say go into too big of a calorie deficit and combine that because they want super fast results um, or that's just the plan they've been put on uh, by someone who doesn't know any better and it's just giving out 1200 calorie plans and saying to people go ahead without any consideration of what their baseline of habits are so like, you know, I can think of some clients in recent memory that have said to me, like, you know, I've tried 1600 calories. Um, I know that's what I need to, to lose weight, but I can't stick to it. Um, and she just figured it was an issue with, with calorie intake. We've, we actually looked at it and it was like, okay, her protein intake was very low. Um, her plant intake was very low. So those baseline habits and like, you know, what's going to be a main barrier to people adhering is going to be hunger is, is a massive one like it's just yeah. as simple as that like if you're hungry all the time you're not going to be able to adhere so what can you do to address that you make sure you eat enough protein uh, at every meal more or less and you ideally start driving up your your fruit and vegetable intake um and then therefore and thereby fiber uh, so you are much more full 
Um, so you're not experiencing that hunger. So we want you like as full as possible on those kind of dieting calories, right? Um, which is not where a lot of people are coming from. They maybe just pick up that's like, okay, I just have to eat this many calories and then I'll be good. And they just try and fit their normal dietary template into that, which is going to be low satiety um, and, he- you know, hence why they're in the position they are, where they're, they want to, they have this desire to lose weight because all the things that you've been talking about in the previous podcasts, like the obesogenic environment, um, until you address what your actual habitual structure is, uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult to actually get the results you want. Um, so there's that. And then there's trying to go too quickly, you know, so if, if you haven't, you know, say your maintenance is 2000 calories and you haven't had any success at going down to 1200 calories, while it might generate really rapid results, what's the point if it's not going to actually last, right? If you can't, if you can't adhere to it and then you, and then you essentially tell yourself that you failed your diet again, you know, it's, it's not a nice place to be in like mentally. Um, and what often comes with this as well are, are expectations of what should happen, you know, in terms of when you start making these changes. Um, so common, like, so addressing ex- expectations is a huge part of the job um, because people often have just arbitrary ideas of what good progress is. So it's like, yeah, a kilo a week of weight loss is good progress. It's just, you know, it's kind of, and I'll ask people, you know, okay, where does that actual number come from? And it's like, okay, I just, either I just picked it out of the air because it sounded nice or, you know, I've done a six week transformation before um, and what that looked like in practice was, you know, super low calorie diet, a lot of exercise. Did they stick to it um, after the six weeks were up? No, but they saw the rapid results and attribute that to them being like the standard, even though they don't maintain the results whatsoever. Um, so actually like, letting people understand what expectations they should have about progress so that they then don't think, oh, I'm doing shit here or there's something wrong with this approach because they're losing, you know, 0.5% of their body weight per week, like, which is very much in the, the range that we would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like for people who have run, say, longer term successful diets in the past, you know, they're better candidates for a more aggressive approach. But, but that's because, you know, their, their habits are already in place. Like they're ingrained, you know, it's not a question of whether they have to eat more protein or more vegetables because they're already doing it. Um, and then you're looking at things like uh, setting the bar too high when it comes to uh, whatever new behaviors you're trying to implement. Um, I find this one really interesting generally because uh, people just trip themselves up really because, they say, you know, okay, I don't eat any vegetables now, but in a week's time, I have to be eating 10 servings a day. And that's just, that's what I have to do. So again, that comes back to not understanding what's actually required for success. Um, they've just decided, okay, I have to eat more vegetables. I us do 10 servings a day, you know, two days in, they're, they're nowhere close to meeting that. They say, well, shit, I'm not doing so well here. I'm failing day in, day out. There's only so much of that someone can take, even though it's just, it's by their own design and completely unnecessary. Like you don't have to go from zero to 10 servings a day um, to have success. So trying to do too much too soon is, is a big, big limiting factor in my experience. Um, and again, like we, we already talked about, it's like, what's actually necessary? Cause like, you know, people will come in and say, okay, yeah, I had good results on like keto or low carb before. Um, so I want to do that again. It's like, all right, well, how did that work for you last time? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it was good. But, you know, four weeks in, I couldn't do it anymore. I lost like a lot of weight, but I couldn't do it. So I was reverted back. And I was like, well, how about we try another approach? Because the absence of carbohydrates in your diet is not a requirement for success. Okay. So it's just, there's, there's a, there can be knowledge gaps as well, like in that sense. And it's, you know, it's not people's fault because, there's so much fucking bullshit pushed onto them being like, you know, keto works because your body turns into a fat burning machine. That, that sort of shit is rampant, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And like, yeah, while there has been a shift 
in terms of better information out there and you know, triage is here putting out good content um and lots of other people but uh people are still unaware as to like why things actually work so not understanding the principles of the methods um those would be a lot of the main ones i think yeah i think you touched on a number of really important points there and i think i just finally just reiterate that point that like education is so powerful in in all of those because the thing is like sometimes you know we can say all oh, people are doing too much too soon they're over restricting they're taking on too much etc but if someone expects that that is what re- is required then that's a totally rational thing to do you know it's a reasonable thing to do so i think that's an yes. important thing for listeners is that you know we're not saying that you're dumb for taking on too much too soon or for trying silly diets or whatever because if you've been told that's what's required then totally respect that that will be your next decision so you know education is really important and i think that um that is something that we try to impart on our clients is is that education because it it, it is it is just you can't under understate the importance because one of the things that i say to every client that signs up is that like coaching is about taking you to a point where you're more or less independent you don't have to be that's your choice but that you can be independent with managing your nutrition or your training or whatever your goal is and the only way you can get there is by being educated along the way and that's one of the reasons that you know if you do sign up with myself or brian or patty or anyone who's worked with us previously like you're not just going to get a meal plan on day one and we'll say yeah there you go stick to that we'll review in six weeks <laughs> like that's, <laughs> it's just not the path to success and i think that just if you are someone who's trying to um, make progress and get your nutrition in order just try to avoid those things because while a meal plan you know that you just got off bodybuilding.com or whatever like yeah i can get your results in the short term but it's not creating that independence that you actually want longer term. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah. And, and this is something I ask people often is like, how long is too long for you to get to where you want to be? Um, and people don't often consider that. Like they often, the default is just, I want to get there as soon as possible. So like, let's, let's do this in six weeks um, or eight weeks or whatever it is. Um, but you know, if they're, if they're not ready, you know, let's say to, to get, a, get the results that quickly. Um, like you can ask them the question is like, Oh, well, how long would be too long? Like at what point would it be? Okay, Gary, this is going to take, you know, six months. Like, are you going to say, you know, fuck that man? No, I'm, I'm not in for that. Um, because if you want to have a long lasting change, it can take some time. Um, but quite often people will say, you know, yeah, okay. I'm willing to put the work in. Um, it may take some time, but it will be worth it pretty much, you know, without exception. Yes, sir. And I think that finishes us off. Anything you'd like to add before we finish up? Uh, I don't think so. Just uh, hooray for being on the team. <laughs> hooray. Absolutely. And we are delighted to have you. So with that said, guys, you know where we are. We are taking on clients at the moment. Brian is taking clients on at the moment. So if you are looking for someone to, you know, work with on a nutrition only basis, that's exactly why we brought brought Brian on board. And the one thing I didn't ask you, could you give me some insight into like the spectrum of your clients, the people you you normally work with? Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, it's quite wide, yeah. wide reaching in terms of who I work with. Um, so it ranges from like, okay, so I've, I've gotten a bit of a, a niche now with people who have poor relationships with food, food anxiety, food fear, um, those being barriers for them having success or health or yeah. you know, just not being consumed by thinking about food all the time and whether they're, they're doing the right thing. Um, people may be struggling with binge eating or other disordered eating patterns. Um, doing a lot of work with people on that like the last couple of years uh, with with a lot of success i'm glad to say um so there's that but then absolutely i have you know your typical fat loss clients um people looking to improve uh, sports performance athletic performance body composition um muscle gain um i've worked i work with people who to manage like digestive issues like ibs uh, absolutely um hormonal things like PCOS uh, in females. So it's quite wide ranging um, and it's unlikely that I can't help you 
uh, you know, whatever your issue is. Um, so I'd be delighted to, uh, to work with you, chances are. You love to hear it. Um, (laughs) With that broad range of clients, Brian's going to be filling up quick, guys. So if you're interested um, and you find yourself in any one of those boxes or other boxes, do get in touch and we'll we'll see if we can help you out. And obviously, uh, myself and Patty are also taking on clients. So if you're someone with training and nutrition goals, broader goals, uh, then then that's that's who you'll be working with. And if you're someone with injury, pain, rehab, that's the kind of side of things you're on. You'll be working with uh, myself. So. I think overall, triage, we've got you covered. You know, we'll, we'll have to broaden uh, psychology. I think will have to be the next uh, thing we <laughs> delve into. But <laughs> for now, um, we are taking on clients. If you're interested, you can find the information in the description box below. Other than that, guys, you know, you know where to find us. We send out our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to that below. You can follow us on all our social media platforms at triage method. Um, you can also follow me at skinny gaz, Brian at Brian O'Hengese. I'll link that in the description because it's a challenge for people to be fair and me. Um, and at the real Patty Farrell, if you're looking for Patty um, on the socials as well. So, uh, other than that, guys, as if you're a coach, you know that you can join the Coach's Corner where you can find the educational uh, content, including information on nutrition. Um, and other than that, I don't think we have anything else to add other than if you do listen to the podcast and you like the podcast, we'd appreciate if you share it on your Instagram story or wherever you happen to share things. Uh, you can also leave a review depending on the platform on which you view or listen to the podcast. And yeah, feedback is always welcome. And other than that, I guess we'll see you and Patty will be back again next week. Thank you very much, Brian, for joining us. Awesome. I will talk to you soon. Would you?